Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Jack Moffat, famous interaction designer and author, and also manager of UX at CDG, a Boeing company. And we're going to talk about UX debt today. This episode is brought to you by Balsamic Mockups. A Balsamic customer recently called it the only wireframing tool that doesn't make me feel stupid. Try it free for 30 days at balsamic.com. You'll be productive in no time. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for making it today. We're going to start with a short blitz questionnaire. Uh, and to kick it off, question number one is, what do you do for a living? Uh, I work for a subsidiary of Boeing called uh, Continental Data Graphics, or CDG, and I manage a small UX team there, uh, and we're responsible for all of the um, UI uh, design, usability study, uh, testing, uh, conceptual uh, product generation, etc., um, for the company. Sounds awesome. How did you get there? What's your background story? Well, I started out uh, with a, a, a graphic design background in my undergraduate uh, college career and then uh, directly went to Carnegie Mellon University and got a master's in interaction design. I was in the, uh, the third graduating class of their brand new uh, interaction design master's program at the time. It was the first master's program in interaction design. Wow, that's, a, that's just such a new industry and you're one of the first people who got the formal education. Yeah, yeah, pretty early on. And so then from there, I, uh, I actually worked as staff in the Human Computer Interaction Institute at Carnegie Mellon for a couple of years, uh, doing uh, UI and usability work uh, for one of the faculty there on research projects with, um, with actual enterprise customers like Daimler Chrysler and uh, Shell. And then from there, uh, moved over to a company called Inmedius, which was a CMU spinoff um, that we did a lot of collaboration with. And uh, then that company ended up being acquired by CDG. So I've been uh, with the company, the original company Inmedius, uh, and then CDG now uh, for um, almost 17 years. Wow, what a journey, really. <laughs> Uh, and you have also, as a, I don't know if it's a side project or uh, like your side career, but you have a prosperous design blog called Design a Day, if I'm right. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know that I'd call it prosperous. I don't make any <laughs> money off of it. But yeah, I've, I've been doing that for quite a while now. And I post uh, about design and related topics. And I try to do that uh, every uh, work day of the week, Monday through Friday. That is definitely prosperous, be sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your book? Um, um, which, which one? The Okay, the Bridging UX and Web Development yes. one, the one that I'm familiar of. Are there any yes. others? Well, there, there is the e-book that I did for UX Pen on UX debt. Oh, awesome. That must have been, yeah, I've, I've, I've done a similar collaboration with Envision. I know this is a wonderful source of yes. new relationships and just internet fame, so to speak. Right, right. <laughs> okay, I'll point, uh, point to both in the show notes. So Great, tell you. us a little bit about both. How did you come up to these topics and uh, how, how was it writing about these topics? Uh, well, so I, I, in my career, um, I've typically been one of very few or the only interaction designer um, working on the project in the team or even in the company. Um, it's, it's only been fairly recently that I've been able to build a small team uh, at CDG. But 
for the majority of my career, I've been a UX team of one. Um, and so I've, I've had to develop a very, very good working relationship with the developers that I work with. And um, so eventually I, I realized that you know, that experience that I had been building up over the years um, was worth sharing and that I had something that could, could possibly help other designers uh, in their careers. And so I started thinking about, um, you know, how I could present that at a, at a conference. Um, and I think I first uh, did a presentation at Midwest UX um, the, the second year that they, they held that conference. And then I developed a workshop. Um, and it was at uh, one of the interaction conferences, I think, um, that I was presenting that, con that workshop and was contacted by uh, one of the acquisition editors. Um, and from, from that uh, was able to then turn uh, the, the workshop and the presentation that I had done, uh, turn it all into a book. And so the book is divided into two parts. It, it encompassed both the working with developers part um, just how do you develop those relationships, along with uh, the uh, some of the more technical aspects of um, being being a designer, but also contributing uh, to the code base, uh, actually writing some of the code for the UI. What about the second book? Where How did you arrive at the topic of UX depth? And you've been writing about that ever since uh, quite a lot, as, as, he, as I see from the blog, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that one, I, I, I came about that one kind of um, more accidentally. Um, I was contacted by UXPen. Uh, they they were interested. I was I was involved in the Enterprise UX conference. Um, I was uh, uh, I was leading a group of speakers um, about design systems, and they had contacted uh, UX Pin was one of the sponsors of that conference, and. So they knew that I was involved. They contacted me to see if I would be interested in writing an ebook for them, initially about design systems, um, but they they left it open to you know any topics um, that I would be interested in and have expertise on. And so I sent them a list of topics that I had been kicking around, uh, wanting to do something with, and one of them was UX debt. Um, because again, I had recognized that working in an enterprise company, um, I had dealt with, I had been dealing with UX debt my entire career, uh, that it was a huge problem, you know, that I had developed um, some methods for dealing with it, and again, thought that that, that was an area that I, I had something worth sharing with the community at large. And uh, they liked the sound of that one particularly. They picked it off the list of topics that I had provided. And so we went forward from there, and I, I, I developed an outline and, and went through and wrote the ebook. That's uh, uh, available as a free download from UXPIN. If you go to uh, uxpin.com and then navigate to their uh, ebooks section, you can find it there. It's called Eliminate UX Debt. Um, and so I, I then took that uh, and turned it into a conference presentation. Uh, and I've since presented that at Midwest UX uh, in Louisville. Uh, I presented at Interaction uh, this, this past February and a uh, couple other places as well. It's, it's been a, a great uh, experience. The, the, the talk has been really well received. I've gotten a lot of positive um, feedback from people who have attended. Uh, and I, I can tell that people are getting a lot of 
of use out of uh, what I've had to share. Indeed, it sounds like a super practical topic. So, uh, and a problem in all in one <laughs> topic yeah. and a problem. <laughs> yes. Happy to go back that to to that topic uh, a little bit later. A couple more questions about your first is about your typical day. What does your typical day look like? Oh boy, that that can change <laughs> a lot depending on um, where where we are in in a particular project, which phase, um, and and what just what all is going on. Um, it has changed a lot recently since I became a manager uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, so now my my typical day starts um, by just doing a status check on everything that's going on, um, checking in with my uh, the, the designers that I lead. Um, and then uh, there's usu- there are usually meetings, <laughs> as, as, as for anybody. Um, most, most days I'll, I'll have at least one meeting, um, some days more than others. But um, again, it, it, it really depends. Um, some days I, I'm actually doing UI work and that's a lot of fun because that's, that's what, that was my original love <laughs> in the field. Um, so getting to do that is always enjoyable. Um, but I may be, uh, generating uh, questions that we want to ask our customer the next time we actually uh, meet with them, or I may be reviewing the results from our last focus group and uh, generating a report from that, or I may be uh, answering questions from one of the developers about uh, particular behavior or problem that has occurred in one of the applications. Um, I, I, I don't know that I could lay out a, a typical day. Um, it, it's always a little bit different. Well, that's a perfect answer. At least we know what you're doing on a daily basis, <laughs> even if that's just meetings. Or <laughs> it's, it's really glad, uh, I'm really glad to hear that you're still doing UX work because it's it's really painful to be you know brought uh, taken over from what you originally loved <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i do a lot less of it now than i used to but i've found um i i've found that i can derive just as much satisfaction from uh seeing my the designers i lead be successful in it um as as i get from doing it myself Awesome. What do you enjoy the most and the least about your work? Oh, the thing I enjoy the most is that uh, I get to learn about all kinds of different domains. Uh, that has always been the thing that has really kept me interested uh, and engaged as as a designer. Is that you know from um, I mentioned you know, I've done work with Shell. Uh, I've been on site at oil refineries. Um, I've been uh, I've been in Daimler Chrysler uh, dealerships. Um, I've I've done a lot of contract work with the military. So I've been on a bomb range when they're setting off CF4 with a robot. And oh, wow. <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of work with uh, explosive ordnance disposal. Um, I've been on new, uh, Navy nuclear submarines and aircraft carriers. Um, I've, I've gotten to see a lot of stuff that the average person uh, doesn't get to see. And I've been very, gotten a lot of satisfaction from uh, knowing that I'm able to help some people in some very hard situations. And what about the least part? The least um, has to be politics. Uh, I, I really don't like politics. And, of course, as, as you move up in a company, um, you have to deal with those more uh, than than you do as, as, uh, you know, the foot soldier, but, um, it's, it's certainly necessary. 
but I, those are the things that I wish they'd just get out of the way so that I can do my job. What is your next big thing? My next big thing? Boy. Yeah, I wish, uh, wish somebody could tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next big thing... Uh, Coming up in November, uh, I've been invited to go to Oslo uh, to speak on UX debt. Uh, a couple guys who were there from their uh, IXDA local group uh, saw me at Interaction and have invited me out to speak to their local group. So I'm, I'm going out to give my presentation, and I've been developing a workshop around the UX debt Uh, stuff as well that I plan to give while I'm there. Fantastic. So let's go to our uh, let's go back to our main topic. Could you give a definition of UX debt to our listeners? Oh, I can. Uh, UX debt's the accumulation of decisions that are made during design and development that negatively impact the users of a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And If we talk about existing products, uh, that's been out for a while. That's where the most uh, UX debt kind of appears. What are the methods of finding it? And then we can talk about eliminating. Yeah. So there are a lot of sources of UX debt. And um, I, I start by talking about what I call the big three sources of UX debt. And those are mm -hmm. acquisition, outsourcing, and neglect. Um, acquisition, of course, you know, if, if, your, if your company is acquiring another company or another product, um, then you're pulling in an entire product or multiple products that have not been under your control, right? So um, there could be any level of uh, UX work that has or hasn't gone into those products, um, And regardless of how good those products are, they probably don't meet the standards of your own products because they've been developed by people with different priorities. Uh, certainly from a, a visual uh, behavioral standpoint, they probably aren't going to match your products. So right away, you're, you're taking on uh, an enormous amount of UX debt that you're going to have to work on over time to make um, the products that you acquire part of your own uh, family of products. Uh, so that, that's a really big one. It also works in the other direction if you're being acquired. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, then outsourcing. Um, so I, I, I tell the story, there was a product that... Um, That we had been working on for quite a while, and we were going to add a major new feature to it. And so we had internally designed that feature. Um, you can think of it as, as, as just a document repository, a, a library of, of, of content. Um, and we had specced it out. We had it all ready f uh, to, to start working with development on the implementation. Um, and unbeknownst to us, um, the, the CEO at the time took that uh, PDF uh, UI specification and sent it to a company in India. Oh. And, and a, 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 I don't know, a few months later, all of a sudden, here was this feature implemented in our product, they had literally taken screenshots of the UI and the PDF and cut those screenshots up to create graphics to use in the implementation. All right, seriously. <laughs> so, so it's coming back. It uses none of our uh, HTML that we already had, none of the graphics we already had, none of the colors we already had specified, you know, nothing. It was all completely custom work. We had no interaction with them during the development. And so that's, that's a really extreme case, right? But any time that you outsource something, um, 
you're you're dealing with people who just have different sensibilities than you, different priorities than you, different methodologies than you. And so through that, there is going to be some amount of UX debt uh, that you'll be getting back um, that, that you'll have to pay off going forward. You're putting it very, you know, mildly because they might have poor qualification, uh, like you mentioned yeah. in your horror story, and that's going to be a true disaster, not just an inconsistency, but absolutely mismatch. Oh yeah, it it took years to get rid of uh, all of that debt that we that we add in the product. And what about the third source, which is neglect inside your own company? Yeah, so this one, um, it's 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 like it's the silent killer. Um, <laughs> well, and okay, so there there are two. I, I divide all sources of debt into two major categories, and that's intentional debt and unintentional debt. So you know, acquisition. That's I typically qualify that as intentional debt because you're purposefully going out, you're acquiring another product. Um, now maybe you're thinking about the debt or you're not at the time, um, but but that's an intentional act. Outsourcing, same thing. Neglect can be either one. There's there's always the case where you have um, neglect where you just you're not paying attention, you let something sit around. Um, but in addition to that, there, there's also intentional neglect where you're, you're choosing to uh, spend your time on something else, right? And so you may have a product or a feature within a product that just doesn't get the attention it needs over a period of time because you've chosen to spend that time somewhere else and so you know it falls behind and it doesn't get addressed and so that ux debt builds up over time so whether it's it's intentional uh, because you need to spend time on other things or whether it's unintentional and it's just accidentally getting uh, neglected either way you're going to end up with with ux debt I have a question just to better re understand the concept. Uh, just merely inconsistency, which means that the same problem is solved in different ways across different parts of the product, which is not good. Um, mm -hmm. Is this called UX debt or do you mean just, you know, completely uh, low quality parts which don't solve the problem at all for the users? Yeah, either one of those uh, qualifies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if if inconsistency is just one type of of debt, and uh, there there are many types, uh, and I I do in the book I go into classifications of of different types of debt, everything from technical to behavioral, visual, etc. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a brief overview of those? Just um, you know, you're the best judge how much of content yeah. you can reveal here, but maybe <laughs> briefly. Sure. Um, so the the categories that I lay out, and and they're the just the ones that make sense to me. Other people may may have other categories that work for them, but I uh, technical debt and. Well, some people question, is, is technical debt UX debt? I mean, that technical debt is its own thing. Um, but I, I absolutely consider it to be UX debt, again, if it's negatively impacting the experience of, of the users, then it qualifies as UX debt. So there are, there are types of technical debt that can be considered uh, UX debt. Uh, functional debt. Uh, so that's that's going to be um, dealing with things like um, is is your prod product scaling well in terms of the number of users it has to support uh, the amount of data it has to support um, the the organization of the content the information architecture of your content. Uh, the the features uh, are there are there features that aren't being used anymore that could be cleared out um, you know are the are the functions prioritized correctly 
Then there's behavioral debt, and you know that that's the behavior of of the system, um, and that's where consistency comes in. That's where following conventions comes in. Um, that's also where you know Jared Spool talked about pool time versus goal time, and and how much time are you spending um, on doing things that the UI requires you to do to get your work done versus how much time are you actually spending on the task that you're trying to do. Uh, so that that's all behavioral debt. Visual debt, that one's pretty obvious. Um, your iconography, you know, the, the, a lot of the consistency falls under here as well. Um, even things like branding are, are your is your uh, UI uh, f up to date with the branding of your of your company and your um, your identity? Uh, copywriting, uh, even fashion. Um, you know the the whole flat UI uh, movement, if you will. <laughs> that, that's a fashion thing, right? So, um, is if if you're developing. Uh, a consumer-oriented application, and it looks old, right? It's not up up to date with the fashion of UI. That that could be considered a, a, a UX UX dead item as well. Are there any more? <laughs> uh, yeah. So there there's one that people often leave out, and that's documentation. Uh, All right. Mm -hmm. Documentation debt is really important. That um, and and I know there are a lot of people uh, following you know lean uh, who think that documentation uh, should be avoided. Uh, that uh, the less documentation, the better. Um, but I'm telling you, I come from an enterprise uh, company. Uh, my entire career has been in enterprise. And you live or die by your documentation. Uh, it's a necessity, and a lot of it is even contractually obligated. Um, and so you've, you have to make sure that your documentation is being kept up to date uh, as well, so that you can have UX dead items against your documentation. Just because in a smaller company that might not seem obvious, but in a large enterprise a company, there is such a turnover in hands that handle all these yes. things, right? That you have to have to explain everything in written form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's imagine we are a pretty large company and we just acquired a piece of software uh, that's not ours. And uh, we do know there is significant amount of debt, UX debt. How do we go around and uh, start synchronizing these piece of software with our design standards and development standards? Yeah, so <clears throat> um, first of all, you have to identify it, right? You have to, um, and, and we've talked about the various sources, it's, it's good to be able to identify where it's coming from. Uh, you have to be able to find what debt you have, and so one of the one of the the things that I suggest you start with is creating a UX debt inventory. Um, so, you know, you can if if you're if you're starting from scratch, um, and and you've uh, like you said, if if you've acquired this and you're you may not have a great level of familiarity with it. You know, you can just start out by just sitting down and using it, um, and just writing down everything that you notice as as you're using the product. What makes sense? What doesn't? Um, what's easy to understand or not? Uh, and better yet, you know, do it with a, a teammate uh, so that one of you is using it, the other one's observing and taking notes. Um, and then switch places, right? And and mm -hmm. and and go at it again. Um, and so then, as you do this and you collect this stuff, you can you can fill out a UX dead inventory where um, you can think of it as like a spreadsheet where you've got columns for things like the description of the item, um, the the impact that it has. 
Um, you know, if you can you can categorize it by type, like we were talking about. Is it visual debt? Is it behavioral debt? Is it technical debt? Um, and that way you can later uh, organize your debt by those categories uh, to help you prioritize it. Um, you can label them, uh, well, you, you, can, you can write down what the impact of the item is going to be, right? Um, you know, if, if you've got this inconsistent icon that in some places uh, it's, it's a delete icon, but in some places it's an X and some places it's a trash can, um, what's the impact of that on the users? Is that going to be confusing? Um, and then, based on that, you can uh, attribute it a severity. You know, is it minor? Is it major? Um, as well as a priority. You know, what's what's the priority going to be in fixing this? Uh, and there are a lot of things that go into deciding that priority. But but you can start t-shirt sizing it. Right? Um, is it small, medium, large, extra large? Um, and then start thinking about who's going to be responsible for it, right? Is, is this an issue that the design team can take on, right? Is it just a, a tweak to the CSS? Uh, or is this something that's going to require a back-end developer uh, to, to make some changes to the database or, or whatever uh, to improve it? Because um, basically, what you're doing is you're, you're collecting all of the information that you're going to need to start prioritizing these items, and all of that information goes into that. So um, once you have that inventory and you've collected that, that information and tagged it all with those, those data points, then you can start your prioritization. Um, and that's where then you start getting into, okay, so we've, we've got this list of debt, um, we've, we've figured out what our priority is on them, um, but there's still the, the task of figuring out, okay, well, how are we now going to address those? Um, and that then that opens up a, a whole new ballgame of, of, of strategies about how you go about addressing the debt once you've, once you've prioritized it and you've figured out what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. Could you share a few strategies? For example, which types of debt would you address first, if, if I'm going the right way? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I mean, which what your priorities are is going to be determined by a lot of different things from, um, you know, schedule, delivery schedule, um, whether or not you're using an agile versus uh, some other type of um, development methodology. Um, how, what, what's your, your team makeup? How, how, many people do you have to work on any particular kind of problem and so forth. Um, so a lot goes into the prioritization and, and I always encourage uh, the UX team to work closely with their product management on that. Um, I, I work hand in hand with the product manager for our products um, and, and make sure that I'm always keeping those UX debt items uh, in, in his uh, site. Um, make sure he's aware of them. Um, share that inventory with them. But then you've got to develop, like like you said, the strategies on how to address them. And so let's say you've got a product that is just really bad, right? It hasn't been <laughs> touched since like the early 2000s, and it has uh, HTML frames and table-based layout, and I mean, it's just there's so much debt in this thing um, that you you really don't know where to start. You might be better off just declaring bankruptcy mm -hmm. saying we, we can't we can't pay off this debt right um, 
and and sometimes I mean we we don't like to give up, right? Um, we, we know that we can improve things. We have a process for for doing that. But you know what? If 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 taking a product and saying no, we our our time is spent better on something else, and and by doing that, you make that other thing successful. You know that's a win. Um, so declaring bankruptcy is a strategy. Um, now, as Ian saying no to the entire thing and just closing off the project, not rebuilding it from scratch. You mean? Right. Well, and that's a different strategy, mm-hmm. right? The the complete redesign, <laughs> right? <laughs> now that's not something you get to do very often, um, especially in enterprise. Uh, it's it's often a, a good approach if you have something that's that's that riddled with debt. Um, When you mentioned frames, that's exactly one thing I was <laughs> I could help <laughs> thinking about. Yes. Yeah, and and I've dealt with that in the in the past year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and we- and we did for one of our products, we did a complete ground up redesign, re-implementation of the product because we made the decision that this was for us strategically uh, a key uh, application that we wanted to have in our offering. And so we we made the time and, and put in the effort to redo it from scratch. Um, and it's it's been, it's, so far, it, it, we've been very happy with the result of doing that. You know, we build out a complete new design system in the process. Uh, it's been great. Um, but you don't always have the time to do that, right? Uh, you can't just drop everything and, and, and do that. So another strategy is to skunk work it. Um, and what I mean by that is to, you can take a team of people Uh, and and have them start working on the new thing while you still maintain the existing thing so that if the new thing goes south um, you you aren't you know you you haven't wasted all your time you aren't at an impasse you still have the old one that you've continued you know fixing bugs and so forth so that um, you haven't left yourself in the lurch Yeah, and that's a great strategy. I know uh, FreshBooks, one of our spon- podcast sponsors, did similar thing with their new version. They developed it as a separate product and uh, just polished it to perfection before launching it to public. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, great example. Uh, so after, uh, yeah, you develop a strategy and... Uh, I imagine there are different kinds of strategies really depending on the product. You can, for example, keep the keep the main UX patterns while rebuilding the technical part of things or vice versa. You can keep the technical part while just doing basic restyling, which yes. is probably the easiest way for making the product feel like it's yours. Right. Yeah, and, and various combinations of, of the two. A lot of analogies with the construction work come to mind. So you can demolish the building, you can <laughs> do some <laughs> renovation, you can renovate it, you can repaint the walls and stuff right. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy. Could you share some inspiring stories that might, you know, kind of break the pattern that um, illustrate some innovative solutions that you've used along the way? Well, I can't say enough about Um, design systems, and I know that that's become a very, very popular thing recently. Um, it's it's such a huge benefit, um, and when we were when we were facing this decision uh, about what to do with our products, because uh, I'm I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> Everything I talk about. Um, With UX debt, I have experienced, and every strategy I have followed on one product or another. Um, but it was uh, 
I, I had been wanting to develop a design system for our team to use because I knew, I understood all of the benefits. I knew that in the long run, it would save us a lot of uh, time and effort as, as we continued to develop our products. Um, but, you know, getting started is always the, the hardest part. Um, you know, when are we going to just say, okay, we're doing this, right? Uh, we're going to put in the time and the effort and, and we're going to start on it now. And so we, we found ourselves in this place where we had a number of products that all needed significant work, um, to, to bring them up to, up to date. And one of them was going to be, as I said, completely rebuilt from scratch. One of them, uh, similar to what you were suggesting, was going to maintain most of the back end um, as it was, but going to get a complete UI overhaul. Um, and then a third one that we knew we wouldn't have time uh, in in the the uh, the project uh, cycle that, that we were following, um, we wouldn't have time to redo the whole thing. It was just too immense of a task. So we had to figure out a way that we could renovate parts of it without renovating all of it. Mm -hmm. And and so um, it that one's an ongoing process, but so you know you 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 laughed at the the html frames um it still <laughs> has frame sets in it right now mm -hmm. sitting sitting alongside of uh or or integrated with screens that are using our new design system with all of the latest and greatest practices for um css and and so forth which uh, that that has been a challenge, but we were able to. Um, I, I guess it. I guess it put some limitations on the design of our new design system uh, aesthetically, uh, because we had to design it in a way that the old screens still would fit in without being too um, too garish. Uh, so things along, you know, the, the, the color palette and, uh, different visual, uh, cues and so forth. We, we had to be cognizant of that, but we also had to put our foot down and say, look, there are certain things that we're, we're just going to have to go forward with and recognize that there are going to be inconsistencies between the new screens and the old screens and, while that is undesirable, that's just what we're going to have to do if we ever eventually want to get to the point that we want to bring the product to. As a brief detour, could you give us, uh, you know, your idea of how design systems work? Like, what does that mean in an actual product? Uh, because they, have, under different names, they keep coming up with every single podcast guest, seriously, uh, under different names of pattern libraries, etc., etc. Uh, right. As far as I understand, it's a living uh, UX uh, guide, sort of speak. But how does that translate into actual work for your company? Okay. Well, you, ha you have to understand that you know, a pattern library is one thing. Um, a style guide is one thing, mm -hmm. both of which can be components of a design system. But a pattern library or a style guide in and of itself is not a design system. A design system is going to incorporate actual UI components um, and preferably the code for those mm -hmm. in a way that it, it's it's almost plug and play, right? So, to 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 go with a very very simple example, you have buttons in your product, right? And ideally, you want those buttons to be consistent across your product. 
they should be the same size, the same dimensions, have the same visual appearance, follow the same collar uh, conventions, uh, typographic conventions, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. They should they should follow the same rules in the way they work. Um, and so, if you can build a button component that you can then, anytime you're creating a new um, page or screen or whatever it is in in your product, um, you can just you can grab that component, you know, copy and paste that uh, snippet of of HTML and uh, and JavaScript and paste it in, right? And that as soon as you paste it in, there's already CSS in a style sheet that's being applied to that. So you know that it's going to show up correctly. Um, that That is a true component. That is part of a true uh, design system. You know, if all you have is a, if a, is a style guide, yeah, that's helpful because that's going to tell your designer and hopefully your developer how something should look and how it should behave. But if you have that implemented component, that's, that's insurance that it is going to act and behave. And it's going to save enormous amounts of time in the implementation. So it's the highest fidelity possible. It's not just visual design, but uh, but the code that implements it. Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, I think we need to wrap up today's episode, and I would love to get your advice for for companies uh, that you know don't have those exotic uh, acquisitions that often. How do they uh, prevent uh, internal neglect based? that from happening inside their product? Good question. Um, and, and it's something, you know, one of the things that people uh, always acknowledge is when, when I speak to them about UX debt is that, oh, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of that. Right? <laughs> but, but they aren't doing, they aren't actively doing anything about it, right? They recognize that it's there and maybe they think occasionally here or there to fix something, but they haven't made it part of their practice, right? They haven't created any methodology around addressing it. And so that's overall what I'm, what I'm trying to get people to do here is to become cognizant of the fact that the debt is there and that there are things that they can do to help manage it, right? So just simply being aware of UX debt and that it's something that you have to actively manage is the first step. Once, once you realize that, then you can start putting little tools and little practices like the UX debt inventory, like regular meetings with your product management to prioritize your debt items and get them into uh, build cycles. Um, things like that that will start addressing your UX debt on a regular rhythm um, and 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 help you pay it off over time rather than you know it just sitting around and every once in a while you're you're in a review or in a critique or you're watching a, you're in a user test and you say oh yeah there's that little thing again right i i remember seeing that before <laughs> yeah. somebody write that down we need to fix that um you know it's it's putting together a system that that your team has bought into um, and and that you can follow to to actually do something about it and one more inspirational piece of advice because uh, it can seem so overwhelming the thing that you just described of course it's you can eat the elephant <laughs> if you divide it by right. parts but the elephant is still huge it's still frightening now how how do you inspire people to to keep calm and be consistent because i can hear all this wisdom in your voice and you talk about all these projects and i don't even hear any kind of bitterness you're so wise and calm and uh, methodical in your approach how can you inspire other people to be like yourself 
Yeah, it's easy to be overwhelmed by it, especially when you have a product that you know is just awful, right? And I've been there. But you have to celebrate your successes, right? Rather than just always seeing everything that is wrong, realize that it's going to take time, that it's going to take work, um, and, and acknowledge the successes, the little successes as you make them uh, over time. Because it's easy for you to, to not notice those or, or, or not, not to, to pay attention to them and just always see everything that's left to be done. But if you can, you can just hold up the little light that says, yes, we fixed this one. Right? This episode is brought we to you by FreshBooks things. Cloud Accounting um, Software. We are making progress. They're offering a 30-day unrestricted uh, free that, trial that to our keep, listeners. Uh, just go to freshbooks.com slash UI breakfast uh, and enter UI this breakfast is wonderful in the how did you hear about so us much. section. Oh, you're welcome. If you enjoyed thank, listening for, to this uh, episode, please leave a review on iTunes. Jack, will where can other people, people find your work online? Just to recap. Uh, you can always find uh, me through Design a Day. Uh, that's a that's a Tumblr blog, so um, you can just Google Design a Day; it'll come right up. Um, so there again, I'm I'm posting almost every day on that blog. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Jack Moffat. That's two F's and two T's. Um, and anybody's free to, to contact me. I mean, you can send me an email, jackmoffat at mac.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jack, for sharing your wisdom. And this is a wonderful episode, just full of stories and experience. Thank you so much again for sharing it. Oh, again, thanks for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Have a great day.